Please turn with me to John chapter 10. Continue our study of the seven I am statements of Jesus this morning. So when you think of a leader, what comes to your mind? Since we're in the middle of an election cycle, I immediately think of president. Uh, We're about to elect uh, somebody to an office that is one of the most influential leadership positions in the whole world. But uh, there are a lot of leaders everywhere, right? In every walk of life. Uh, In education, there are presidents of universities and deans and uh, professors who teach in classrooms. In the business world, there are CEOs and managers and owners. In athletics, we have coaches and we have captains of teams in the home. There are mothers who lead and fathers who lead and oldest siblings who think that they're supposed to lead, right? Leaders are everywhere. They're everywhere. But you notice in the list that I just gave, nowhere did I say shepherd, right? When we think of leaders, we don't think of shepherds, which is interesting because from a biblical perspective, the paradigm of leadership is the shepherd, That's the paradigm. That's the model. Moses was a shepherd, literally, but then also figuratively, he was the shepherd of God's people. Aaron was called a shepherd. Joshua was called a shepherd. David was a shepherd, literally, and also figuratively, again, shepherd of God's people. And every shepherd of God's people was evaluated in his or her leadership based upon the standard, which is God. The good shepherd, as David would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is the chief shepherd. And even when his people were languishing under poor spiritual leadership, human shepherds that were leading them away from God, God said to them, I will send you better shepherds. In fact, I will send you a good shepherd, a son of David, and he will lead you in paths of righteousness for my namesake. John chapter 10 Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, that's me. I am the good shepherd. Follow me. Follow me. So why should we follow Jesus? Uh, If we're honest with ourselves, actually, we really prefer to lead, don't we? Don't don't really want to follow others. We want to be in charge. You may not want to be in charge of a university, or you may not want to be in charge of a country, but you probably want to be in charge of your life. And so we struggle. In John chapter 10, Jesus is going to give us four good reasons why we should follow the good shepherd and entrust him with our lives. So I want you to read with me John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Jesus says, follow me. As a good shepherd calls his sheep by name. Jesus knows your name. What Jesus is picturing here is a community sheepfold. There were a variety of places where shepherds would house their sheep for an evening or for a day or for an afternoon. But what Jesus pictures here is the community sheepfold. It was a stone wall stacked high. And on top of that, they would place briars or thorns so thieves couldn't climb over easily. 
into the sheepfold and steal the sheep. There was one entry and one exit, so it was easy to control the sheep. But when the sheep came in, there would be multiple flocks. And as they spent the night and as they slept and got up and wandered around, all the flocks would become intermingled with one another. So in the morning, the shepherd would show up and the doorkeeper knew each shepherd personally. And he would allow that shepherd access because he had sheep mixed in. But how could he get them out? How could he get his sheep and not other sheep? The shepherd would step in and he would begin to call out to his sheep in his distinct voice and calling each of them by a distinct name. And he would stand at the door and he would call to them and they would recognize his voice and they wouldn't come to a voice of another. And he would lead them out and his sheep would be separated from the other sheep and the other flocks and follow him because he knew them and they knew him. Has there ever been somebody in your life that you, uh, you really admired and uh, you knew that person, but you weren't sure if that person knew you, but you wanted that person to know you, you wanted that person to remember you and acknowledge you. Have you ever had that moment where you happen to cross paths with that person and they actually call out your name, they remember your name? That's a great feeling, isn't it? I remember when I was in junior high, uh, there were two guys who were on the high school hockey team. And at that point in time, that was, that was uh, the pinnacle of life to me, right? I wasn't dreaming of being president. I just wanted to be on the high school hockey team. And I remember one Sunday, I went into church. And one of these guys, David, he looked at me and said, Hey, Brian, how's your hockey team going? I was like, wow, he knows my name. I mean, you know, when you're at that stage of life, I mean, that was all of life to me. Like, oh my gosh, he knows my name. He knows my name. And he's a hockey player and I'm a hockey player, right? And we're, we're like friends. We're kind of friends, right? David knows my name. I'm, I'm telling you, I remember that moment vividly. How much greater is the fact that Jesus knows your name? It's not just that he knows the, the church generally, but he knows you. He knows you. See, the shepherd valued his sheep because from an earthly perspective, all of his wealth was bound up in the sheep. So he knew his sheep and he cared about his sheep, absolutely every single one of them. Psalm chapter 100, David wrote, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. Or as Moses recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession. God made everything. God owns everything. And what does he value? Not silver and gold, not houses, not jobs, but you. You are his treasured possession. Hold your place here in John chapter 10 and turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Read with me, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me, behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Verse 13. For you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book all were written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. Even when I am awake, when I awake, you are still with me. I should meditate upon that for a moment. God knows your name. God knows you by name. God knows everything about you. God knows the good, and God knows the things that are not so good. And he loves you. He has cared about you. He cares about you. He thinks about you. Notice in particular, this is the phrase that's always struck me really powerfully in Psalm 139, verse 17, which says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Literally, it says, How precious also are your thoughts toward me. In other words, David says, When I stop and realize that God is thinking about me constantly. The creator of the universe, who is infinite, is is thinking about me. How vast are the sum of his thoughts toward me. Every moment, if I should try to count them, it would be overwhelming. He says, God loves you. God cares about you. Turn back with me to John chapter 10 again. Verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. In exactly this same way as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I know my sheep like this. I know my sheep like the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's the depth of the intimacy between us. So in other words, if Jesus is our good shepherd, that makes us what? His sheep, right? That makes us his sheep, which uh, really is not necessarily always a a complimentary (laughs) designation for us. Sheep are not known to be the brightest of animals. Uh, let me illustrate. There's a, a, a really good commentary written on the Gospel of John. It's a by a guy named Kent Hughes, and he made this observation. He said, among the animal kingdom, sheep seem to have come out on the short end. From all accounts, they are of limited intelligence. When it comes to finding food, they are definitely uncreative. As creatures of habit, they will follow paths through desolate places, even though not far away is excellent forage. Sheep are also given to listless wandering. There are even accounts of their walking into an open fire. Shepherds confirm that they are timid and stubborn. They can be frightened by the most ridiculous things, though at other times nothing can move them. They are absolutely defenseless. There is no way a sheep can defend itself. Of all of the animals subject to husbandry, They take the most work. (laughs) Timid and yet stubborn, defenseless. They have no claws or fangs. They are subject to every predator. In Jesus' day, even in earlier, lions and bears still roamed. There were wolves, and in our day, coyotes can get them. Large dogs, even birds of prey can come in and take away a young lamb. They, They are susceptible to flies. Flies get in their ears and drive them crazy with the buzzing, and so they're known to bang their head against a tree or against a rock until they are unconscious. Sheep are not the brightest animals. They're known to wander away from the shepherd and from the shepherd and fall into a ravine or they drink polluted waters or they eat poisonous plants and they're prone to a flock mentality. If one falls into a ravine, others are likely to follow. 
Right? If one drinks the muddied water, the polluted water, others will drink polluted water. If one eats poisonous plants, others will eat poisonous plants. They require constant care, constant attention. Philip Keller wrote a great short book several years ago. It's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. He was a shepherd himself, and he talks about sheep becoming cast. And what that means is a sheep will lie down in a hollow place, and it will begin to relax, and it will roll over. But then the center of gravity is a little bit too high, and it will keep rolling, and pretty soon it's upside down, and it cannot right itself. If it's a hot day, within hours that sheep can become dehydrated and die. God is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. And yet, in spite of the fact that sheep are difficult to care for, and they are foolish and tend to lead themselves into destruction, God loves us. A good shepherd carries us over his shoulders, close to his heart. Isaiah chapter 40. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. Jesus says, follow the good shepherd because the good shepherd calls his sheep by name. That is, he knows you, he loves you, he cares about you. Second, follow the good shepherd because the good shepherd provides for all of his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Jesus kind of shifts the metaphor around a little bit here, right? Generally, the metaphor is about all things sheep and shepherd, but now Jesus says, not just am I the good shepherd, but I'm also the door. And I think there are multiple significances of this imagery. One is certainly protection. We'll talk about that later. But in many ancient Near Eastern cultures, there wouldn't be an actual gate or doorway on the sheepfold. The shepherd would lie down at night across the entryway. So if a sheep was tempted to wander off and get lost or fall in a ravine, he'd have to step over the shepherd. The shepherd could protect him. Or if a thief wanted to enter in, or a wolf wanted to enter in, they'd have to step over the shepherd. And that's part of the imagery, protection. But I think what Jesus is emphasizing here at this point is provision. Notice chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. That is, he will be provided for. Remember, the point of John's gospel is Jesus, how to know Jesus, and if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. John will say, these things I've written so that you may know Jesus, so that you may believe in Jesus, so that you may have eternal life. And in John's way of thinking, eternal life wasn't simply life that lasted forever, but eternal life was pictured as a, a present possession, Not in full, but you begin to experience eternal life, which can also be translated uh, life of the age or life of the ages. That is, you can begin to experience what it will be like forever with God right now. Because right now, even now, you possess eternal life if you believe in Jesus. Here's Donald Carson, another commentator on the book of John, wrote, said, the life Jesus' disciples enjoy is not to be construed as more time to fill, that is merely everlasting life, but life at its scarcely imagined best. It is not just quantitative, it is 
qualitative. That's why Jesus said, I came that they might have life and that they might have life that is abundant or overflowing. What does that mean? Again, mark your place here in John 10 and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, God describes both the evil shepherds and also himself as the good shepherd leading his people to abundant life. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search out for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among the scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in the rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and the strength and the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Now, obviously, this is, it's a metaphor again because people aren't sheep. People are like sheep, right? But people don't need grassy fields, right? That's not what we need. So what's the point of the metaphor? Well, in Ezekiel, he's giving a a vision of the future kingdom of God where God's people, God's sheep, have all of their needs and all of their desires, both physically and spiritually, met directly by God. That's the future kingdom. But we don't live in that kingdom right now, do we? And if we're honest, there are times that our physical needs and our spiritual needs seem to be unmet. Not just physical, but sometimes even spiritual. We long to see Jesus face to face, but we can't. We walk by faith, not by sight, but someday we will. Or by sight. In our physical needs, sometimes we get sick, we can't seem to get over it, and eventually life ends for us. And so we live in this time where we can get a vision of the future kingdom, but we don't have all of that right now. So what does abundant life mean for us right now? Well, I think Israel is a great illustration. They were enslaved in Egypt, and they cried out for deliverance. And so God came and he rescued them out of slavery, and he brought them into the wilderness. And they were thirsty, and so they complained, and God gave them water. And then they were hungry, and they complained, and God gave them bread or manna. And then they were hungry for something else, and they complained, and God gave them the quail. But what did they ultimately need need from God? Well, what they needed was freedom, and then they needed to learn to trust. That in any and every circumstance, God knew that they needed something and he would provide what they needed and that God was watching and caring. They needed to learn to trust in God. That's what they really needed. Philippians 4.13. Uh, anybody memorize that one? Surely many of you have, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Probably one of the most uh, abused verses in the entire Bible, right? Yank that thing out of context, right? Slap it on a shirt and go to the weight room. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Load it up, load it up. I can do all things. <laughs> I can't. Spot, pull it off, right? I can't. Man, you just, you just lack faith. 
That's the problem. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'm putting another 25 on both sides. Let's go. Or, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't as strong as I thought he was. Because there are things that I, I long for, things that I feel like I need, and Jesus isn't coming through. What's the context of Philippians 4.13? It's often overlooked. In the context, Paul says, I've learned a secret. I've learned the secret of having an abundance and overflowing so much that I just have to give things away. And then I've also learned to be in hunger and thirst and in prison and, and be suffering. And I've learned to be content in both circumstances. When I have an abundance and when I'm suffering need, I've learned to trust in the good shepherd. What is the abundant life that Jesus offered? It's not necessarily having every need and every want supplied in this exact moment. There will be times when we do suffer need. In fact, Jesus said of his disciples, in this world, you'll have tribulation. In this world, you will suffer because you're followers of me. I'm not promising you that every circumstance will work out exactly as you want it to, but you can trust me. You can learn contentment. You can learn that I am the good shepherd and I have given you life that can be life of of peace and joy and satisfaction even in the midst of suffering and then life that lasts forever and ever and ever. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. I am the good shepherd who provides for all his sheep. Third, I am the good shepherd who sacrifices for his sheep. John chapter 10 Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus compares himself here uh, to two different kinds of uh, leaders, so to speak, to thieves and to hired hands. Right, the thief is the one who, who steals from the sheep, who takes advantage of the sheep, who abuses the sheep. Again, I want to read from the book of Ezekiel. If you want to turn there, I'll be back in Ezekiel 34 and verse 1, or you can just listen along. Ezekiel 34 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. 
They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field, and they were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search for them, no one to seek after them. This imagery of the good shepherd God and earthly shepherds who may lead well but often didn't lead well, it permeated all of Scripture. And certainly this is in Jesus' mind. It is in his hearer's mind. Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. I'm not like the thieves and the robbers that came before me who abused the sheep, who used their spiritual authority and power to take from the, the sheep. Spiritually, yes, but also even financially and physically. Jesus was almost certainly alluding to the spiritual leaders of his day, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who created rules that made it difficult for people to get close to God. John chapter 9, that that really sets the stage for what we're looking at in John 10, is a, a story of Jesus healing. Jesus healed the man who was born blind. Remember that story? Jesus comes upon a man who's born blind. His disciples say, well, someone must have sinned, right? Either this man sinned somehow in the the womb or his parents did, but that's why bad things happen to people. Just no, 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 no. Your world is far too simplistic. This is for the glory of God. And so Jesus spat on the ground And then he mixed it together with his fingers. He made a little bit of mud and then he rubbed the mud on the man's eyes, sent him off to the pool of Siloam. The man rinsed the mud away and he looked up and he could see perfectly. His whole life he had been blind and now he could see. Well, the Pharisees discovered that this had happened and it infuriated them. Why? Because work had been done on the Sabbath. You know, you were not allowed on the Sabbath to spit. It's not that you couldn't even just bend over and and kind of mix it together. You couldn't even spit because as soon as you would spit, your spit would hit the dirt and mud would be created, which is an an echo back to Genesis chapter 1. God creating, creating the earth and creating from the earth. And so it was against the law to spit. Overlooking the fact that a man was born blind and now he can see, they call the man in and they say, were you born blind? Sure I was, sure I was. Well, what happened? He said, well, the man made mud, mud you know, he anointed on my eye. Well, that, that's sin right there. He must be an evil man. Who do you say that that man is? The man born blind says, I think he's got to be a prophet. I think he's got to be one who's rightly connected to God, or else how could he create light out of darkness? He said, well, we don't even believe you were born blind. We, just, we can't even believe you. Get his parents in here. Is this your son? Well, that's our son. How did he come to see? And they don't want to answer. You know why they don't want to answer? Because if you didn't give the right answer to the spiritual leaders, they would cut you off from worship. You would not be allowed to enter the synagogue and worship God with the people of God. So they didn't want to answer. And they said, you know, he's old enough. Why don't you just ask him? They haul the guy in again. Give glory to God. How is it you came to see? And he said, well, you know, I already told you this story once. You want to know because you want to follow Jesus? Oh, that must have been a great moment. (laughs) Oh, man, now they're just, they're coming unhinged and they revile him and they curse him. It says they cast him out. They cast him out. Woe to the evil shepherds of Israel. They cast him out of the community of faith. They pushed him away from God. And it says, instead, Jesus sought him out. 
spiritual leaders of the day cast him out, but Jesus sought him out and brought him to the Father. Jesus says, I'm not like the thieves and the robbers. I'm not like the hired men. Hired men may not necessarily be evil, but the hired men really just don't care that much about the sheep. They care more about themselves. So if danger comes, they depart. Because they care more about their own skin than the skin of the sheep. They rescue themselves. Zechariah referenced these people. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. Now compare this to David. David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. <laughs> I, man, that's highlighted in my Bible. That's awesome, right? That's great leadership. David put his life on the line for the sheep. He rescued the sheep. Even though he might have been injured or killed himself. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. This really is, it's a, it's a great metaphor for spiritual leadership. You know, my uh, summer after my freshman year in college, I went to work at Pine Cove. Uh, it's in Tyler, Texas, and that's uh, before I really realized that, you know, summer in Tyler is not a good idea, right? I mean, it's really, really, really hot. Before I realized that the camp they assigned me to, the towers at that point in time, had no air conditioning in the cabins. So for an entire summer, I slept in my sweat in Tyler, Texas. It was horrible. It was horrible. You need to realize, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up in Texas. And where I grew up, we didn't actually have air conditioning in our home because we didn't need it. Summer nights, we'd open the windows and let the cool breeze flow through. It was awesome. Tyler's not like that at all, right? And so there'd be nights when I'm just laying there and I'm sweating. I can't sleep. And part of me said, you know, I kind of want to abandon my sheep, right? This little cabin of third and fourth graders. And there was air conditioning about a hundred yards away in the cafeteria. I could just grab my pillow and my blanket Set an alarm, wake up early, get back there before they wake up. They'll never know that I wasn't there. That's what Zachariah is talking about. Woe to those who are just hired people. They're just hired men. They don't care. They don't see the sheep as their own. Jesus says, no, you are my own. I have called you by name. You belong to me. So I love you. It's It's a beautiful paradigm. For spiritual leadership, because in the ancient Near East, shepherds suffered. Shepherds sacrificed. Shepherds were, were tough, tough people, men and women. They were tough because they lived with their sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. Sometimes they would get maybe an evening off when they would put their sheep into the common fold. But most of the time, if it rained, they got wet. If it snowed, they got cold. If there was a drought, they were thirsty and hungry. They lived life with their sheep. They identified with their sheep. They suffered. And Jesus said, that's the way that I have led you. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15 The Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life 
so that I might take it up again. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I give my life for the sheep. There's an interesting comparison that has been made. In the West, shepherds drive the sheep with dogs. That's how they manage the flock. But in the East, the shepherd goes in front. The shepherd leads his sheep. He calls to his sheep and they follow him. And so the shepherd goes ahead. The shepherd faces the danger first. He goes into the field and he makes sure that there aren't any holes or ravines that they could fall into. He finds out if there are any poisonous plants in the field or water that has become polluted. Or he walks through the woods and he flushes out any predators. The shepherd puts his own life on the line first to protect the sheep. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, I lay down my life on behalf of, which in Greek means not as an example for, but instead of, my life instead of your life. Again, quoting from Donald Carson, he wrote, the shepherd does not die for his sheep merely to serve as an example, throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you, right? It's not what Jesus does for us. No, the assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger, that in their defense, the shepherd loses his life, that by his death, they are saved. This is how Jesus shepherds us. He lays down his life on behalf as a substitute for the sheep. Whereas Isaiah records, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. His life for ours. Fourth, the good shepherd protects his sheep forever. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is a beautiful Trinitarian verse. I and the Father are one, he says. And in the Greek, it's explicit. He doesn't mean I and the Father are one person, in which case we wouldn't have a trinity. Because the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. He doesn't say we are one person. He says we're one thing. That is, we are one in essence, we are one in nature, we are one in purpose, we are one in work, and our work is this, to reach down and to rescue you and to keep you safe forever. And so Jesus says this, you are in my hand, and I am an invincible shepherd, and if that's not enough for you, my Father's hand wraps around my hand, so you're safe forever. The Apostle Paul put it like this, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the Spirit gets into the game as well, and He seals us up, we're told in Ephesians 4, for the day of redemption. That is forever. In the hand of the Son, wrapped over by the hand of the Father, sealed up with the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is very typical Paul. He gets so excited, he just starts to ramble. And he lists everything that he can think of. And he says, I can't think of anything more, so let me just include the kitchen sink. Any created thing, which includes what? 
everything but God, right? Only God is uncreated. He says, there is nothing outside of God that can separate you from God and God won't release his grip on you. That means you cannot lose life. You cannot lose life. Leon Morris wrote, our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip on us. Isn't that beautiful? Our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip on us. I will tell you, I I interact with so many Christians who don't see it this way. They don't understand that Christ has a grip on us. Their understanding of eternal life is this. They're reaching up and they're trying to hold on to Jesus. And they begin to suffer. Or they begin to doubt and and their grip gets gets weaker. and, And they're trying to hold on. They're trying to grasp. But they're afraid that if their grip slips, they will lose life. And what Jesus says, no, it it doesn't depend upon your grip on Jesus. It depends on Jesus' grip on you. Amen? That's how you know you have eternal life because God won't let go of you. Jesus is a good shepherd who protects his people forever. So my question for you this morning is this. If the good shepherd is that good, why don't we follow him? Why do we struggle to follow him? Why do we follow him for a while and then we want to kind of take charge again? A couple thoughts for you. First, I think we begin to question, does he really know the way? Does he really have this figured out? The disciples wrestled with this their entire time with Jesus. All three years that they walked with Jesus, they were always thinking, you know, I think we could refine his plan a little bit. Maybe we should go here instead of there. Maybe we should stay longer here instead of there. Cross? No, bad idea. We're not doing that. Right? They thought they had a better way, and we wrestle with that as well. When we're not receiving what we want when we want, we say, mm, perhaps there's a better way. Because the fact is, we, we really don't like to follow. We want to lead. We'd rather be in charge. Again, maybe not of the country, but at least of our lives. Think about it. There are books everywhere on leadership. There are not a lot of books on followership, are there? You can get a degree across the street in leadership, but you can't get a degree in followership. Because we want to be great leaders. We want to be people who are in charge. And Jesus says, no, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm life. I'm God. God in human flesh, but I existed always and I always will exist. Eternity is in my grasp. I see the end from the beginning and I know and I'm weaving everything together for good, for the glory of God and for your good. Trust me. Follow me. Sometimes we wonder, does he really care? Maybe he knows the right way, but does he really care about me and me personally? Again, when I'm struggling or I'm suffering, I don't get what I want exactly when I want it. And I wonder, is he paying attention to me? Does he really care about me? Oswald Chambers wrote years ago, the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. I think that, that's, that's profound. The root of all sin is beginning to doubt. Does God actually care about me? Does God actually have my best interest in mind? That's how Satan began to kind of worm his way into Eve's heart and mind. It seems that God's withholding something really good from you. Look at that fruit. That's good-looking fruit. I bet it tastes really good. I don't know why, but God doesn't want you to have it. Do you wonder sometimes, does, does he really care? I'd encourage you to look at the cross. Okay. 
Constantly go back to the cross. Meditate upon that man, Jesus, hanging there, having been, been beaten and mocked. Nails driven through his wrists and through his feet. Suffering for you. There is no greater picture of Jesus' care for you. There's nothing more he could do to show you that he cares. Sometimes we wonder if he can actually fulfill his promise, okay? So maybe he knows the way he does care about me, but can he, can he get it done? I'd say, look at the cross of Christ to know that Jesus cares, and then remember the empty tomb. There's still no body in the tomb. No one has ever recovered the body. Why? Because Jesus said, I've received authority to lay down my life, and I've received authority to take up my life. And he acted on that authority. The Father raised him from the dead, never to face death again. He's conquered your worst, worst enemy. He faced the worst threat first before you, death, so that you could have life that lasts forever. So how do we apply this? A few ideas. First, are you part of his flock? Do you know that you're part of his flock this morning? Uh, Jesus would say, uh, some of you don't really understand what I'm saying right now. And the reason is that I'm not your shepherd and you're not my sheep. And so you don't know my voice. You respond to a different voice. Perhaps this morning the Spirit is calling out to you and he's trying to introduce Jesus' voice to you. He's saying, believe in Jesus. Believe believe that he loves you. Believe that he knows you by name. Believe that he cares about you. That he has died to remove that debt of sin and give you life that lasts forever. Believe in him. That's why John wrote this book. As he said at the end of his book, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name, life that lasts forever, abundant life here, right now. And I would exhort you and encourage you, if you came in this morning and you're not sure that you know Jesus as your Savior, you just call out to him right now and say, I believe. I believe you're real. I believe you're true. I believe you can give me life. Second, are you following his lead? Or is the Spirit kind of putting his finger right now on something in your heart? Maybe there's an area of sin that you have been unwilling to confess and relinquish. Or maybe just a general stubbornness where you've said, that's my way. I've got a better way. I've, I've refined your plan, Jesus, and I'll go my way. And maybe the Spirit is kind of tweaking on that and saying, no, trust Jesus. Follow Jesus. He knows the way. Are you a shepherd to others? There's a great turning point will happen in your spiritual life where you you learn not just to feed yourself and care for yourself, but you realize that God has called you to help others on this pathway. God is the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's the the one who's the guardian of our souls. And yet it has always been his way that he would work through men and women in his family to shepherd others to move closer to him. Recall right at the end of John's gospel, he recorded this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus said. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then shepherd my sheep. Three times he said, shepherd my sheep, feed my flock, tend my lambs. Peter, it applies to us as well. God has uniquely gifted you and called you to invest your life in the lives of others to help draw them closer to closer and closer to walking with Jesus and trusting him with their entire lives. Who is in your life that you lead toward Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are here secure today, that we are, we are held in the grip of, of Jesus, the invincible shepherd wrapped around by your hand, sealed in the spirit, and that gives us confidence. 
Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that you are a good shepherd. You gave your son to lay down his life for us. I thank you that we can trust you to know the way. And I pray, Father, that you would stir up in our hearts a deep desire to lead others closer to you, to walk with them as they draw near to you, that you would infuse our lives with meaning and abundance as we give ourselves away as Jesus did. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll uh, see you next week. If you need prayer, there will be some folks up front to pray with you after the service.